We're here at the end of the Do You Believe series. We've watched the movie Do You Believe as a Church a couple of nights. Uh, we've also, uh, uh, I think it's come out on uh, DVD, isn't it, this week? Uh, so if you haven't seen it, it's coming out real soon. We just hope you'll get it as we've been watching uh, clips of it in Sunday school and church as we will today. We've handed out your pocket crosses that uh, you should have with you, which mine got baptized back there and it's in the pocket of those pants. Uh, we talked about great faith and great prayer, and today I want to talk about I-N-A-M. And wouldn't you agree with me that we are all born selfish? That we live in a selfish and self-absorbed world? And people are all about what is best for me? And if you look at the cause of sin all through the Bible, it can be traced back to pride and selfishness. And if you could narrow Christianity down to one simple phrase, if you were to basically have a phrase that describes Christianity, it would be, it's not about me. I-N-A-M. It's not about me. But we have a problem with this. But this phrase, it's not about me, does not mean that you aren't valuable. Because you are valuable. Because the value of something is determined by the price someone is willing to pay. Much like in June, we did superheroes and we had comic books out there and people proceeded to tell me, hey, some of these comic books you have, Rob, are worth four and $500, but they're only worth four or $500 if somebody's willing to pay that for it. But we know that Jesus Christ gave his life for you and for me and for everyone who believes on him. And because of that, that makes you and me valuable. Which means also that God has a plan for you. And God wants you to do great things in your life. But we have to get it through our head. It's not about me. It's about, and it isn't about our lives. It's a good ideology for Christians to live by because it means we are willing to sacrifice things in our lives for the benefit of others. For example, how many marriages could have been saved if both people in the marriage would have said it's not about me and were worried about their spouse? How many business deals or, or things out there in the work world wouldn't have gone wrong if the people in those businesses or in those corporations would have lived under the principle, it's not about me. How much less crime and how much less child abuse would have happened if people would live under the principle, it's not about me. In fact, that selfishness we see in culture has even crept into the church. Where in the church, the members, the people that attend, think it's all about me. So they come to church and, and they say that to sit by me, you have to look like me. You have to talk like me. You have to believe like me and you have to act like me. And until you do that, you can't become a part of, of us as a church because it's all about me. Where well, that isn't what the church is about. The church isn't about me. 
If you look at scripture, you will see that the people who were nothing like Jesus are the ones that followed Jesus. The sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. And in scripture, we see that that Jesus liked the people that were nothing like him. And that's why the church needs to be a place where people who are nothing like Jesus can walk in the doors. The church should like having people that look nothing like Jesus. Because that's when the church looks most like Jesus. But most churches don't operate that way. And thus the church in the United States of America is in decline. Because it has become boring and predictable in a stale environment. We isolate ourselves from people who don't look like us. And because of that, statistics have shown 6,000 churches a year shut their doors in the United States. 3,500 Americans leave the church each and every day. 85% of churches in America are declining or plateaued. And of those growing, only about 2% grow through baptism and new members. And we also have a great number, 800 churches a year are planted. But of those 800 churches that are planted and survived, the church would need 10,000, or the United States would need 10,000 churches a year to keep up with the population growth. See, one of the largest growing demographics in our nation is the irreligious. It's a person that has no affiliation with the church and with God. And there's been a huge increase of that in the last 10 years, where 68% of those irreligious do say they believe in God. So in other words, they have rejected the church. And I believe this is the church's fault. See, Jesus died on a cross, not just to get us out of hell and serve as fire insurance. Jesus died on a cross so that we could live lives that are fully alive. God calls us not just to connect with the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, we just don't accept him personally as a savior, but we also buy into the purposes of Jesus Christ to where we buy into what he wants for us. And that's when we become fully alive, when we realize that it's not about me. In our Sunday school lesson, and, uh, and also today in the service, we see one of our characters in the movie, Do You Believe, Bobby, and he's a firefighter, and he faces a challenge. He has, uh, he has witnessed to a man who was dying on the scene of an accident, being crushed by a huge piece of tile and pipe. And, and he leads the man to Christ, and in doing so, he leaves a cross in this man's hand. And what happens is the man's wife comes up to the man after he has died, finds the cross, and they are agnostic. They are humanists. They do not believe in God at all. And Bobby has to decide because he's being sued. He's being sued by that lady, and, and the firefighters union in the city say, deny that you will do this again. Deny that you witnessed to this man. And he says, I will not even though the cost is going to be great. 
his career, his home and possessions, and maybe even his marriage and family. Show this video, Nick. Bobby Wilson, right? Yes, may I help you? Might not want to. I'm the attorney for Lauren Carson, the widow of Ron Carson. Can I ask you a question? Anything I can do to stop you? In a few minutes, you're gonna go in there. The union, the department, the city, and the county are gonna look to hang you. And you're gonna let him do it. It's about the size of it. And after that, I am gonna take you for everything you own. And you're still gonna go through with it. Yes. Why? I was once asked if you were ever accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I don't know, maybe. But if what I did has suddenly become a crime, then I'm proud to plead guilty. I shared my faith with a dying man. It's something I've done for years, only no one's ever cared about it until now. Times change. People who are smart change with them. Bobby realized I N A M, it's not about me. And I believe for the church to be fully alive, they need to reach out to the lost. Just like we see in the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And it's scary to lose something. I remember back when uh, I lost my big fat yellow cat. And I kept crying for him and saying, here kitty kitty. And of course, that's a, we don't have cats anymore. Uh, they have all gone to heaven. And... Uh, I could hear a voice, and I thought, where is he? And of course, this is February. Well, I figure out he's across the river, or the creek, the Little Blue River. So I, I, I can hear him, so I start wading across the river. And first it's ankle deep, and before I got over there, it was chest deep in February. But I got the cat, brought him back across, getting clawed as I took him across the water. Uh, took him back to the house and got accused of my family of being nuts. But isn't it awful when we lose something valuable? We, we aren't passive about it, and we turn things upside down to, till we find it, as I was with Tiger the cat. You know, I wasn't going to give up till I found him. Now, let me tell you something. I hear a lot of times about our church, Rob, you're too worried about attendance. You're too concerned about baptism. Why are we so focused on counting here at Mount Pisgah? Why are we concerned about numbers? Well, it's simple. We count people because people count. And every number is a name. Every name has a story. Every story matters to God. And if it matters to God, it should matter to the church and to us. So when I do the numbers and I see in 2015, we're averaging 15 to 25 more people a Sunday in church over the past year. And I look back and we have baptized seven people in the last three weeks and we have six more waiting to be baptized. What bothers me isn't counting, but it's the millions of unsaved people that are in Indiana. You know, I'll go out in the community and I'll just strike up a conversation with somebody and I'll ask, oh, do you go to church? Why, yeah, I go to church. Uh, what church? Well, I go to such and such. And I say, well, who's the pastor? Oh, I don't know his name. I'll, even worse, I'll ask a family member that I'll end up doing the funeral. 
about their lost loved one. And I'll say, did they go to church? And they go, yeah. I said, what church? They can't name them. I'll say, were they baptized? I don't know. See, Christians in the church are called to relentlessly pursue the lost. And see, change isn't impossible until Jesus takes over the sinner's dead heart and turns them into live hearts. And when a lost person is found, those people matter, folks. And that's why we need to reach people because Jesus calls us and tells us it's not about you, it's not about me. And only Christ can change the heart of people. See, Christ, he is for those who have addictions, have had an abortion, who are sleeping around, who are addicted to drugs and painkillers, who've gotten divorces, who feel like their life is falling apart, they can't sleep at night. Jesus died for those people too, and if Jesus is for those people, then the church needs to be for those people. And the church needs to be trying to, to change their hearts. See, we're supposed to be salt and light in the community. The cross is a message from God that he is serious about us and that he never gives up on us. And when those people aren't looking for Christ, we need to understand that the lost has Christ looking for them because Christ wants to find them. He wants to save them. He wants to make them a brand new creation. God wants us to pursue the people that are far from him. Because it's not about us. See, we, we celebrate the eternal here at this church. We celebrate just like the angels in heaven do when there is a baptism on this earth. When somebody comes to Christ. I'd like you to watch this video of, of Bobby. If you get the movie, you'll see there's a massive ac accident. And the lawyer, she is engulfed in flames in her car and Bobby pulls her out and here's their conversation. Grab my jeep. Why did you save me? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Thank you, Bobby. I'll be praying for you, Andrea. That's a Christian that knows it's not about me. He has lost his job, he's lost his career, lost his source of income, and he tells the lady that caused that, I'll pray for you. It changes us when we relentlessly pursue the lost.